Hello and welcome to another Investech Focus Radio podcast brought to you by Investech Cash Investments. Join us today as our panel unpacks the latest from the Investech Gibbs Savings Index. I'm Adrian Saville. Thanks for joining me on the fifth Investec Savings podcast. Figures that suggest we might lose as many as a million jobs in South Africa in the COVID-19 pandemic. Economic growth numbers that have been revised downwards by the IMF to suggest that the economy will shrink by as much as 6% this year and a government budget deficit in double-digit territory. Against this backdrop of unprecedented economic times, which are the source of great stress and anxiety for the economy, business, industries, families, individuals, I have two guests on this podcast. Dr. David Rosenstein, a leading South African cognitive therapist and neuroscientist, and Maya Fisher-French, a financial journalist who will need little introduction to people listening in on this podcast. The most recent print of the Investec Gibbs Savings Index comes in with a number of 62.6. This is down on the number at the end of 2018, which really comes as no surprise. We know that the South African economy has gone into a worse circumstance as we finished 2019 coming into 2020. There are some aspects underneath the savings index, which are worth fleshing out, though. And the first is just to recognize that the index is made up of three pillars, a stock of savings, a flow of savings, and an environmental pillar, which is how we are being influenced, nudged, prodded in a particular environment. So uh, without further ado and preamble, let me jump straight into the conversation with both of the panelists. If I could start with you, Maya, and you know, ask you just to sort of talk to or unpack what you are sensing as some of people's biggest financial fears or anxieties in this environment? You know, Adrian, I think, first of all, anxiety. I think that just generally there's a level of anxiety around all of us. But what I'm really picking up from people is that they are not, there's just all this uncertainty. So even if maybe they still have a job at the moment, uh, they're not sure if that will continue. They don't know if the company they're working for, if they own a company, if that's going to be around in six months' time. So I think from a financial perspective, there's just this massive amount of, of fear about whether or not literally we can put food on the table. So, I mean, that is really what we're seeing. And Adrian, the, the reality is, is that we entered COVID-19 crisis lockdown already financially vulnerable. If we just look at surveys, for example, that looked at the resilience of people against an unexpected expense. So one survey found that people earning between 14,000 and 20,000 rand a month when they were asked, do they have 10,000 rand for an unexpected expense? 43% said they had no access to 10,000 rand. I'm not talking about savings. I'm talking about even credit access for a 10,000 rand unexpected expense. And when uh, we look at people earning 40,000 rand a month, 2% only had enough money to cover one month's salary. And that gives you an idea of how financially vulnerable we entered this lockdown. And as a financial journalist, one of the things that I've seen, or I specifically focus on personal finance, has been just this eroding, and, and obviously the savings index really shows that as well, but the eroding of wealth. So people have, over the last five years, really increased their dependency on credit because they 
their living expenses have increased above salary uh, increases. South Africans have just actually in real terms become poorer. But I think on the upside, if I had to give some sort of upside to all of this, is that it has now focused people's minds um, around financial resilience and how do they need to change behavior so that they become more resilient in the future and are able to weather a crisis like this better? Now, perhaps, David, I can come to you uh, and ask against the backdrop of Maya's observations. Psychologically, what's happening? What's going on in our heads or in our guts uh, in this environment? Because wherever we turn, it's about anxiety, stress, fear, unknown. Well, I think both of you have hit the nail on the head with the unknown. If you increase the amount of uncertainty, people are going to feel much more anxiety. I mean, you're talking about a lot of financial uncertainty for people, but this whole situation introduces numerous uncertainties. Our brain has evolved to respond with considering the worst case scenario. So if you presented with an uncertain situation, parts of our brain, their survival mechanisms, you'll consider what could go wrong first before you consider you know, what could go right in that particular situation. And we all have that. That's not just about a person who has an anxiety disorder. It's just about the way our brains are built. So in these kinds of situations where you're presented with tremendous amounts of uncertainty, a lot of people will consider the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario could be a number of different things. Um, losing my job to, and that's very real as well for a lot of people, but it could also be, I'm not going to have enough money to meet out the next month or two or three, or family members are going to lose their work or, or jobs, and even fears about getting sick. Will I get it? Will a family member get it? Uh, worries about uh, elderly family members. So there is a tremendous amount of stress, and I think people struggle with that. And operating under stress, that also affects decision-making. So there's two words that I hear us using, or two sort of emotions that I hear us either using or referring to. The one being uncertainty and the other being anxiety. So Maya, you know, from a financial planning, wealth management perspective, in all of my uh, 25 years of managing money, I know that two of the surest sources of bad decisions are anxiety and uncertainty. That if you want to see a bad decision taken, you know, add those ingredients into the mix. This is a time at which people are feeling these emotions in the most extraordinary proportions. What can we do to calibrate and to turn this uncertainty and anxiety? What can we do? We already saw from the insurance industry last year, I think, and the year before, the increase in claims already for stress-related illnesses. So we saw suicides, back, back is a big, uh, big problem, uh, hypertension. And I would be so interested to see, David, what those statistics are going to look like in terms of claims. I think sometimes the financial industry can actually feed back that information as well. And I think we're going to see claims like that increasing as, as people are so, so stressed. Um, and so, of course, uh, uh, Adrian, probably the first thing not to do is cancel your insurance policies based on that. But, you know, we're having to do so much of that financial education. And I mean, in your position as, as an asset manager, I can imagine that that is also part of the challenge because I'm getting all the time, I, I might have lost money in the market. I'm going to take it out now. And you're trying to explain, but hold on a second, this is the worst time to be taking your money out because you've really had the losses. But they're saying, yes, but I don't want to lose more. And it, it's almost hard to counter that argument. I mean, as David's saying, we don't know in six months' time what this world's going to look like. We hope 
there's a lot of hope that we'll get out of this. And there's a lot of hope that industry will get back and we'll be able to go back to work and companies will be able to make money and hire people again. But right now, what do you tell someone who's terrified that their pension is going to fall even more and they're going to make even greater losses? So the uncertainty is very difficult. And all I can do is, if from my perspective and, and communicate that to people, is we have been here before. Many, many, many times. 1998, we had the emerging, the Russian crisis, emerging market crisis, where I think the JSE fell 50% in one month. We've had the dot-com bubble. We had the blowout in 2001 when the RAND completely collapsed and everyone took their money out of the country. And of course, we know the RAND recovered from there. Um, and we had 2008. We've had our own political dramas, uh, Nenegate. And we, every time it was the end of the world. And every time we've recovered. And I think that is kind of the message as well to the uncertainty is, guess what? It's called life. And life is uncertain. And you've got to make sure that your investments and your finances reflect that. Have you got things in place um, that will see you through this? And if you are 30, 35, 40, even 45, maybe 50, and you've got money in the markets and you're still contributing to that, this is a buying opportunity. Of course, it gets a lot more challenging to people who are entering retirement and they need to perhaps look at things slightly differently. But I think it is really about saying to people, do not panic. David, your thoughts on this in terms of, you know, are there things that we can do to, to take control of the circumstance, to manage the stress? We start from the very practical things. We see them as behavioral strategies. Uh, they may seem simple, but they're not necessarily easy to implement. And then we look at the more psychological sort of strategies to assist with stress. On the practical level, we really want people to create predictability in the environments. To, so to try have a routine waking up at a particular time, going to bed at a certain time. And this is something we're observing as psychologists is that people's routines are all over the place. I mean, you can wake up at 8.30 or if you don't have children or and nap in the afternoon and decide to work at 2 to 5 because your boss is interested in outcomes now. There's no way to necessarily, or for most people, track their, their work schedules. That's not healthy and it's not effective for people. It's not it's not great to have that. And at home, you can get away with having a really all over the place schedule. So schedule and create predictability. Uh, and there are two ways to do that. One is to have a regular, not necessarily rigid routine, but a fairly consistent plan for how you run your day. So you wake up at a particular time, you know, you're going to have breakfast, lunch, dinner at certain times. You got to, you have an exercise schedule. I mean, exercise is incredibly important at the moment. There are loads of YouTube videos, online apps and things like that, that you can do exercise, your yoga, your hit if you're into it, but, but have it as a routine. So that's scheduling your day. The other thing is to look at scheduling specific activities into your week, things you could do if you're staying with families, if you're by yourself, there could be a Zoom call or a Skype or a, some kind of social media interaction you have with a friend or a family member, actual activities, hobbies and events, which you're capable of doing. So that's kind of creating this sense of predictability for day-to-day -day living. I mean, the worst thing you can do is to just do things when you kind of feel like doing them. I and mean, when we we creatures of habit, we don't often see things that way. And we're not separate from our context and environments. Our environment has a massive effect on our well-being and mental health. We great problem solvers. That's what our brain does. Our brain has evolved to problem solve. It's what rationalizing does. Now, if you set with an uncertain situation, 
uh, a number of uncertainties, you cannot problem solve that. And the definition of worry is an attempt to problem solve an uncertain situation where there's more than one probable outcome. From a psychological perspective, we want people to not overthink these circumstances because you can't problem solve everything. Rather think about the things you can control or think about things you can do. We talk about healthy distraction, you know, get your mind off the rumination or off the problem solving. What you're describing is the poor results that come out of increasingly stressed circumstances. A friend of mine, James, says that stress is like riding a rocking horse. <laughs> the faster you ride it, the more you go nowhere. And you know, not to make light in any shape or form of the incredible stress that people are finding in this environment. But what you're pointing to, David, are ways in which we can manage ourselves. You know, One of my observations in looking after investments and assets is that very often the greatest source of risk is ourselves. Maya, if I could come you know, back to you then and ask if we can use some of these tools, tricks, uh, guides that David suggests to, to manage our stress, what can we do about our financial uncertainty? David, as you were speaking, I was thinking, oh, I know exactly what you mean. So it's always trying to plan for the uncertainty does really makes you very, very stressed. But there are things that I feel that we can be doing in lockdown in terms of our finances. And that's actually to be real. It's, you know, one of the things I always tell people, you know, have a budget, start this, do this, do that, and they never have time, or they don't have money, or they don't, it's always an excuse. Well, you know, maybe now is the time to at least start taking action where you can. So it is about simply, maybe it is now the time, I wouldn't say necessarily your investment, (laughs) take all your investments, because that may give you a heart attack. But it may be that you've been always meaning to put a budget together. And now finally, you've got the time to pull out those three months bank statements and actually go through them and find out how much it costs you to live. Um, I can tell anyone on this podcast listening to it right now that if you've never done a budget, you will be horrified when you do one because I can tell you now you spend more than you think you do. But, you know, that's really about, I think for me, it's just saying, right, this is the time. I'm going to put my life book together which means I'm going to make sure my will's up to date, that I've got my birth certificates and all of that in one place and not scattered all over the house. Um, it could be about putting a spreadsheet together with all my bank accounts, all my bank account numbers, all my policies, all my policy numbers, just tidying up my life. And for me, and maybe I'm really weird, I don't know, but I find when I get my paperwork in order and my life in order, it helps me calm, it calms me down. So sometimes just the, this is the process, I don't know, David, is psychological, of just organizing something, of being organized, of not feeling so scattered can give you some sort of sense of, of calmness. Um, and, and I think if you are in a situation where perhaps you are still getting your salary, you can start saying, right, what am I going to do now? I've done the budget. I've realized that I'm spending much less under lockdown because we should be. Uh, we're not getting out there spending money. What can I do with that extra cash flow? Do I look at helping family members? Do I look at building up my own resilience because there is a job uncertainty? It's just really about to me, a little bit about planning. And if you are in financial difficulty, if you're not getting a salary at the end of the month, you know, find out what are my options. I can contact the bank. What is the bank prepared to do for me? What is my insurer prepared to do for me? And actually just started taking action. And, And I also really took a lot from what David was saying about discipline as a habit. And um, I must tell you, David, I do my exercise every day. I'm exercising more now <laughs> before lockdown because I do a session for an hour every day online. And there are days where I just don't feel like doing it because I'm really going into that slump. And having that habit and that 
to make me and force me to do it, I think is what keeps you going. And the same could be applied to your finances. That you know, start saying, right, I'm going to start a habit of, and whatever that may be, it may even be setting up a debit order. But to start building in healthy financial habits, because you know that prevent protect you from your own bad financial behaviors. You know, maybe it is about cutting up that credit card and only living on what the money that you have or starting that investment. Yeah. So I think for me, it is really an opportunity for, yeah, for us to get our paperwork admin and and plans in order to the extent that we can. Just to stay with your observations about, you know, things that you can do from a financial well-being and welfare perspective, in times of crisis, it's very often rules that help us navigate best. And I think David was you know, alluding to this too, is that when the stress comes, the plans go out the window. If we found ourselves in these incredibly difficult circumstances, if we found ourselves in that World War II or mountaineering environment, what would you suggest are the un- uh, inviolable rules of thumb. What are the what are the one or two rules that we cannot let go of? And I'd like both of your your thoughts on that. I think often connecting with the people who care about you and you care the most for is probably the thing we sometimes turn to when we're closest to our mortality. But but I think any uh, we call it an existential situation. So. I mean, it's, it's really looking at the fundamentals of, of existence, of, of what is like fundamentally what it means to be human, whether it's our freedom, a limitation to our freedom, whether it's a, our mortality, whether it's an aspect or a confrontation of isolation, which is an existential human phenomenon. And the last great existential consideration is its freedom, its death, its isolation and its meaning. So, and meaning comes to, to values, I think. I mean, I don't know how, how easy this would be if you st- stuck out on a rock in the freezing cold on the top of a mountain. But, you know, thinking what you care about most, sometimes when you're stripped of, of uh, you know, some very basic, basic comforts. I mean, you don't have a lot at your disposal. What you can come back to is, is, is what you care about and what you value. Maya? So the one that I've always loved uh, that has been, been going around a bit was don't touch your face and don't touch your investments. And I think any decisions now around changing your investment plans. And, and I've been getting a lot of that. It's like, well, my, my portfolio is down, so now I'm going to make the changes. It, it really is about waiting for normality before you make change. Stick with the original, you know, stick with your plan for now. Maybe your plan needs adjusting, but it does not need adjusting now. Right now is not the time to start making those changes. But I would also like to comment more on the, perhaps in a slightly more emotional way around it, is, is this is an, also an opportunity to look at your value system from a financial perspective. What is it actually that brings you joy? Because by the way, the BMW, whatever it is that you bought to show your friends, you can't even drive around right now. <laughs> so what is it that actually in this lockdown has brought you the most joy? I think that you know what you're both alluding to are or re- referencing are tools more substantial than tips. I mean, these are principles that can guide us through this very, very foggy environment. One of my sort of favorite throwaways in this circumstance has become the fog of war, where it, it really is hard to see past now. Maya, you know, just to stay with the financial aspects, there are all types of people that find themselves stranded or stressed in this environment. I want to sort of just paint two caricatured, stereotypical investors. 
The one is a person who is in retirement and who has seen their investment get thrown around in market circumstances. Interest rates have been cut. Their income fund is not going to give them what it did last year. What is that person to do in this circumstance? And then my stereotype B is a younger person in their 30s or 40s who's got some way to retirement. What should they be doing in this circumstance? If you're a year or two away from retirement now, is, is, this is not a great time. <laughs> For a market crash, obviously, it never is. But I think what's very important is to actually step back and find out what your investments are and where you've been invested. Because most people, to be honest, don't even have a clue what's in their, how their retirement money is invested, right? They just left it with their company and they think about it the day they retire. Um, so go and find out what does their portfolio look like. And most portfolio, what most people do, most, most uh, retirement funds do, is they follow this life stage model where they actually are exiting out of equities closer to retirement. And, you know, if you're sophisticated enough and you do your planning 10 years before retirement, you may have had a different view on this. But in most cases, it's it, you're exiting equity. So you're probably sitting with about 40% equities just before retirement. So that's probably the good news is that if you did nothing and you didn't worry about your retirement fund, it's probably been, been set up that way. The next question is, is what were your plans on retirement? Were you going to take one third? Because you're allowed to take one third out in most cases and two thirds are turned into an, into an annuity income. What does that mean for that one third? Um, and what were your plans with that one third? And if your one third has actually really, and remember, hopefully we're hoping the marks will recover, but if not, you can actually defer retirement. You don't have to, even if you retire from your company, you don't have to take that one third. Now you can actually defer it. So start thinking, and I know David's hard to plan for things right now, and, and we don't want to give people too much stress, but start thinking, okay, realistically, could I spend another six months, defer my retirement by a couple of months or whatever it is, um, and perhaps earn a little bit of income some other way or ask my company to keep me on a bit longer? But you need to start thinking about it. That's the point. The point is, what are your options? And then obviously coming into retirement, um, Adrian, I'm going, I suspect we're going to see a massive shift away from living annuities. So we've had this traditional thing where people have wanted living annuities because it gave them, this is, these are market-related investments in retirement, because it gave them possibly better growth, it allowed more drawdowns, it left money for their children people sitting in living annuities have been absolutely hammered. And I, I suspect we're going to see more move towards things like guaranteed annuities. And I think even more important than ever is advice. Good, solid financial advice, understanding cash flow, understanding the impacts of markets on your return. So I would love to see people five, six years away from retirement starting to engage with really good financial advice. So that's that part of it. What you make me think of, Maya, is the work that we've been doing through the publication of the Investec Gibbs uh, Index is to point to the value that sits resident in savings pools and savings flows. And I think that that point has been made in this conversation. A point that I've made and I've battled with the evidence, <laughs> but I think that this environment gives us that evidence, is that when we talk to people about, well, can you find ways in which you could save? The observation is always, no, I can't because I'm, you know, I'm right at the top. I, I, I'm spending, how on earth can I save? You know, I, I, I don't earn enough. And I think that what this environment has shown many people is that there is space to save. And uh, the work that we're doing in this savings index is 
is the work for your future self because your future self will thank you again and again and again for the decisions you took today when your point about just staying the path in the 0809 global financial crisis and the reward you get when I hit 65, which is becoming a closer and closer number, that 65-year-old self can't come back to now and say, well, Adrian, what you should have done is one less dinner. And I know that that circumstance might be a circumstance of privilege versus other people's circumstances, but each of us you know, have, have ways in which we might be able to look after our future self and build the defenses and the ability to absorb the shocks and the crises that David says uh, we should be building for ourselves. I think staying the course is also quite a big theme. And psychologically, you know, that's what we'd want people to do. From this conversation, there are a number of takeaways. I won't point to, to all of them. But if I put your comments, experiences, observations into a take-home pot, Maya and David, it would include uh, everything from establishing a routine, making sure I'm, I'm networking, I'm connecting, I'm speaking to others, exercising, uh, Maya, don't touch my face, don't touch my uh, investments, budgeting, getting a sense of, of the numbers and thinking about those circumstances for, for my future self. I mean, to me, those are some of the, of the key takeaways in, in signing off then, I guess, the sign-off would, would go something along the lines of stay safe and stay home and borrowing from our now well-worn mountaineering uh, analogy in this uh, podcast from Maya and from, uh, from David, stay the course. This was a podcast brought to you by Investec Cash Investments. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time on Investec Focus Radio. Be sure to comment, rate, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.